Welcome to the Mavens of Marketing, a weekly podcast hosted by me, Rachel Durkin. And me, Carrie Barrett. We talk all things marketing, innovation, sales, and business growth strategies, and the standard tried and true marketing techniques. Come for the conversation, stay for the savvy insights. And the borderline inappropriate jokes. We'll get this next episode of the Mavens of Marketing rolling. I, of course, am Carrie Barrett, owner founder of Carrie Barrett Consulting. I help my clients expand their visibility and scale their credibility through the use of video in both the media and the online world. And my lovely, fabulous, and talented co-host, Rachel Durkin, how are you? I'm good. Hello, hello. As you all know, if you've listened before, I am Rachel Durkin. My company is Paradigm Marketing and Design. We are a web branding and marketing agency that serves clients mostly in the professional service area with a complex sale or the nonprofit sector. And today, as you can see, I'm in a new environment. I had to uh, steal my husband's office because we're getting our roof done. It's very loud upstairs. And I was just telling the group that I am finding the weirdest things everywhere. <laughs> this is the only room in the house that I don't come into regularly. And I, now I know why. Because You're officially, just, you, you officially know why. I, yeah. And also there's things I've been looking for for weeks that I am finding. <laughs> and I'll say, do you know where this is? And my husband will be like, no, I haven't seen it. And now it's sure enough, it's at his desk. But. Of course he hasn't seen it because he hasn't been looking for it. <laughs> we all know how that works. <laughs> and our fabulous guest today is the lovely and talented as well, Kelly Huey. Kelly, it's so good to have you here. I've been looking forward to this episode ever since we scheduled it months ago. Yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm saying I am thrilled to be here and it's great to see you both. Uh, well, so introduce yourself to our audience. Tell them a little bit about what you do. As spoiler alert, Kelly is like a master <laughs> networker. She, if there's, if you have a question about networking, she's your gal. She knows the ins and outs, not just how to successfully network in the moment, but the the way to follow up and the way to incorporate networking into your marketing plan. Did I just say everything? You pre pretty much. So okay. yeah. So I'm I'm. <laughs> I'm the author of this book, Build Your Dream Network. Uh, moved to New York from Toronto as an attorney. And yeah, the Big Apple transformed my career from law to management to the first president of a global business network for women into the startup world. And then finally, I stood still and said, what is the common thread here? And that was networks and relationships. So sat down and wrote Build Your Dream Network, which came out in 2017. Congratulations. And is that what really like propelled you into this area of expertise that you now have and you write it about? It's the fact that you understood that no matter where you were and what you did, networking was the through line through all yeah. of it, no well, matter actually, what you sold or, or your expertise. Yeah. I mean, when I look back on it, it's, it's, it was obvious, but I remember a boss of mine, he said to me, and this must have been boy, about 2006, he said to me, Kelly, you need to tell people what you do, like around networking. You need to tell people, you need to share this with them because you do this differently and you look at it differently than other people. And I looked at him and told him he was an absolute idiot. And this was the stupidest thing I had ever heard and in my life. You told your boss he was an idiot. How did that go? <laughs> 
Um, well, he's the first. He's the first acknowledgement in the book. Uh, the first named acknowledgement. I oh, I had to eat crow. Uh, but no, I and I think I laced a few profanities when I told him he was. I was going to say, did you actually say absolute idiot, or were there other words that were thrown in? Oh, there, there were some other colorful, very <laughs> colorful words that were thrown in there because I because I was too close to it in terms of my mind. Well, didn't everyone look at this? Is what you because it just seemed. Yeah efficient and rational and considerate and made sense. And didn't everyone do this? There was nothing right. special about what I, what I was doing. So that's why I think I looked at him and told him he was an absolute idiot. So, and then oh. you had to rely on your network to find your next job. <laughs> no, well, well, I mean, I say that in and of itself, uh, I remember, because I'd hit the glass ceiling in our department. Mm -hmm. And I remember my last performance review, I sat down with Tim and we both looked at each other. And we were like, okay. We know that what this conversation is. We either find you a job here within the firm and doing something else, or we find you a job doing the same thing at another firm that gives you more headway. Because yeah. the only place for me to grow career-wise in the role I was in was into his job. And I sure as hell didn't want his job. <laughs> I mean, he didn't want you to have it at the time. <laughs> he didn't want me to have it, but he also, he's, he was oversaw my function, which was attorney training and development plus recruiting. And there's no way I wanted to oversee oh, recruiting. Yeah, so I, even, if, even if his job was available, I did not no, want it. <laughs> so Kelly, you mentioned, you mentioned something and you said, I network differently than others, or I do this differently. How do you do it differently? What's the secret? So what's the, what's the master secret? So, um, I look, Rachel, I look at networking as every single human interaction. Mm -hmm. I think we think about networking as some, like one grand act, like getting the introduction or the elevator pitch, right? When you're at a conference, sending the cold email to get, you know, a job or reaching out to someone saying, hey, I'm job searching. Like we think, or making maybe that one business pitch. And we think about it in that sense, rather mm -hmm. than how do you show up every single day? Mm -hmm. And how do you leverage the tools at hand? Because if you think about the last 15, 18 months, if we only looked at networking as cocktail parties and schmoozing and you know going to conferences and business associations, yeah. well, we could all sit at home and say, well, we can't do any, business networking because there's no networking to be had. So I'll just, you know, you know, yeah. I'll just, I don't know, uh, watch Netflix and wait for this pandemic to be over and then I'll start my business again. You know, you can't do that. So what do we do? You have to take advantage of the tools you have at hand. And that's the way I look at it. Can you send a better email? What's your, um, what's your website look like? You know, mm -hmm. does your LinkedIn page align with your website align? If you were a job searcher, align with your resume. Mm -hmm. How how did you treat people when you worked alongside them that they would, regardless of the passage of time, be happy to receive your call? And how are you thinking about what's going on in somebody else's life? Because um, those little touch points, like acknowledging a birthday or acknowledging a child's birthday, that may do more to cement a relationship and maybe unlock business than, you know, a, a perfectly crafted pitch deck. I love that. When I first started networking, I always, you know, when you're, when you're new to it, you always think about the end result. I want to get a new client. I want to bring in new business. I want, I want, I want, what, what do you want to accomplish? But really what it is, is building relationships and, and, you know, this is overused, but having that no like, and trust factor. And I have found after 15 years of doing this, that 
20% of my network brings me 80% of my leads, but I'm also, I work that part of the network hard and, and, and because I want to, because I like those people. I don't network and continue to do business with people I don't like anymore because I want it to be easy to build a relationship with somebody. So I love that you're, that you're saying that it sounds like it's gotta be about the person and about giving, helping them where you can, because then, and, and that has to be your goal every day, not what's in it for me, but how can I make a difference for them? And part of the KPIs I give my, my sales team is that you need to, to give out referrals or help someone or do something nice as part of your goals every single day. Is that kind of what you're saying? You can't get where you're going unless you help someone else get where they're going. Mm-hmm. You know, and part of helping someone else get where they're going, because there's always that networking, like if someone makes an introduction or gives you a business lead, you're like, oh God, I got to give them one now. Ooh, you know, and we think of that kind of transactional sense rather than thinking, well, I can help somebody else succeed by, well, being more succinct in what I ask them for, or being more focused in what I think they can do or deliver for me, because gee, they're a busy working mom and they've got three kids that they're homeschooling or their summer camp hasn't started. And I need to be considerate the fact that their time and energy is like stretched super thin. So I'm going to be really generous and considerate in what I ask them for and when I ask them for it. Mm -hmm. And, and now let me ask you this. When I talk to people and I think of networking, I think of it as a personal goal. But really, I, especially this pandemic has brought it out, to me, networking and, and putting employees of the company out there or individuals, having the company back you is so important and giving them the, you the tools you need to be shiny, to be productive, to, be, to build relationships. Is it in your mind, is it a personal thing or is it part of a company? Should it be part of a company strategy? And if so, what is that strategy? It absolutely should be part of a company strategy. So, you know, let's dial it back to the days when blogging started mm-hmm. and IBM was, you know, the, the monster company and they had 400,000 employees. What did they do with their, when blog started, they issued like a, a two page blog policy. Like it's like a PowerPoint and you can sum it up in a short sentence. And they said to employees, thou shalt do no wrong. Like, don't be a jerk online. And they, <laughs> and they empowered mm-hmm. all of their employees to blog. Yeah. And you sort of think, why on earth would they do that? Well, now they have 400,000 people doing business development. Now they have yeah. 400,000 people doing marketing. Now you have 400,000 people doing recruiting. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, it, 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 you know, everyone is part of your brand. Mm-hmm. You walk away with that now. Um, I know I can sort of say that I sort of always think about that when companies are so invested in corporate swag and I'm looking in the street and I'm thinking, do you really want that person carrying your umbrella? <laughs> Maybe not. Right. But everyone's, everyone's got those names, right? Everyone's networking your brand mm-hmm. because of social media. So instructing people, um, advising them, guiding them and empowering them. Mm-hmm. There's a, company uh, through New Zealand Trade and Enterprise that um, I've been advising. And one of the things I said to them was, you know, you've got 15 employees and like 15 different descriptions of your company on social media on their personal profiles. You know, that's kind of, you know, whether you call it marketing or calling it networking, you're not networking and marketing your brand the right Mm -hmm. way, because you need some unity here in terms of 
how you're describing yourselves. You need to understand with a company of that size that everybody is part of every function. There's no, oh, that's not my job. I'm just IT. It's like, no, you got a social profile. Mm -hmm. This is part of your job. And so we worked. I sort of gave them some ideas and they worked. I worked with them, but they did this. And I love this part of the story. They sat down with their employees and talked about it. And the founder of the company came back to me and she said, you know what, this exercise of how we were going to talk about ourselves, what visuals we were going to use on our email signature line, on our LinkedIn banner, all of that kind of stuff. She said it was the best team building exercise. She's like, I don't know why I've spent all this money all these years, you know, on these team away days when I could have just sat with them and said, how we're going to describe ourselves on social media. <laughs> well, it's funny because back in the day, I worked in pharma and I was on I wasn't on the cool, fun, sexy side of like the television advertisement. I was on what we call OTC director over the counter. So like suited when, when you said fun, sexy, I thought you were going to say Viagra, but I mean, <laughs> grass. Well, it wasn't that, it wasn't that cool. It was more like, you know, Sudafed or Mucinex, like that type of thing. And so it was, not sexy. Let's all be clear about it. It is, but yeah. doing the focus group of the different advertisements was, is the point. <laughs> anyway, there, there was a lot of different ideas before they came out with those snot monsters. Anywho. Um, it wasn't, I wasn't on the fun side that I got to do things like that. I was on the side that trained the sales team what to tell the doctors to push the products to the patient. So it was like the roundabout way. Long story short, it, it always blows my mind in most, and I'm talking like $80 million companies that we work with, where they'll spend thousands on sales training, less than they should on networking training, but thousands on sales training, but almost nothing on training the team on how to understand and articulate their value propositions and I don't mean your elevator pitch. I mean, the true essence of the company and the brand. So yeah. what you're saying is so right on. It's something that I feel like a lot of small businesses and mid-sized businesses miss uh, right. when they go to market is having everybody be the face of their brand and articulating and, and drinking the Kool-Aid of the brand more right. so than just being trained to repeat. Well, when you think about it, you know, when do people need sort of a one and done sales training in the sense of where are there scenarios that if you... If, if the brand doesn't capture, or the, the yeah the scenarios where if a brand doesn't capture that customer that one thin slice moment in time, they'll never see them again. And I'm thinking, well, wh where does that happen anymore? It doesn't you know like you know maybe I don't know maybe if you're walking through the cosmetic department at a big department store if if that you know, salesperson with the perfume doesn't spritz you that one time, you'll never stop and never buy anything from that particular person. Mm -hmm. But where else do we have that? Yeah. We're more, you know, we want people to understand us. We want people to personalize us. And maybe this is where sort of that marketing where I, it aligns with how I think about networking in the sense that um, we get so annoyed when we get an ad you know, tossed up to us on Instagram or in our inbox. And we're like, why do they think I want, you know, a ski boat? Like, <laughs> like you know, when, when someone has you because so- you said something about a ski boat next to Alexa. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. But I don't have one of those for that reason. Because, you know, no, anyway. So, um, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, you get delivered up something and you're thinking, what, they got me so wrong or, and I'm thinking we get so mad about that in our marketing, but why do we think it's okay to use a template to reach out to a human being yeah. from another human being. I just, you know, we get mad when we're targeted in marketing. We should get really angry when we are targeted with just 
kind of a template, change the name, mm -hmm. you know, networking outreach. Let I so I I've it's a little story about that, and then I have a question because we've talked so, we've talked a lot about success and and what people are doing wrong, and I'd love to give some tips to our audience about what they can do right. But I had that exact experience, except in the reverse. Uh, somebody asked me a question on LinkedIn. I actually created a post about this because I was so ticked off about it, and I responded in a very <clears throat> very personalized way. I mean, it was a, it was a, an answer to his this person's question. And the response I got was, wow, this was really well written. Who wrote it for you or what template did you use? And I, I, well, for me, it was like, dude, you know, I have a brain, <laughs> but I can't write. But I, I realized afterward that probably so many people, this hasn't happened to me a lot yet. And maybe be just because I'm new in business. I haven't been reached out to with those templated, clearly mass produced emails or reach out. And I can understand why that would get irritating or old or tired, or you think I can't see through all of that. So with that backdrop, what are the things that people can do to be successful? Clearly it's not, you know, plug and play sort of reach out. What are the things people need to be doing that they're not doing? Be human. There's okay. a starter. That's a tough one. We got to be human. <laughs> you need to realize whoever, what, like your outreach might think, oh, I'll just send an email. You're sending something to another human. Mm -hmm. So you need to do your research. You need to not only sort of generally understand their industry or their business, you need to understand them. Yeah. I mean, and the good news is we leave lots of little bits of information about ourselves yeah. all over the internet. Yeah. So do your research and then focus and personalize and say up front what you need. Maybe, you know, maybe Carrie and Rachel, maybe it's, you know, as I said, I've moved here from Toronto. I'm, I'm, I'm now the sanctimonious Canadian crossed with a New Yorker. Like, I'm just like, get to the point, but also show me when you get to the point that you've got the understanding about what I need behind it. Mm -hmm. And yes, this takes more work, but I don't know. Do you want to send five good emails or 50 crappy ones? Your right. call. Yeah. Your call. And I just think that absolute transparency, particularly when you're reaching out to people you know. I also think it's so important to go deeper. You know, I, I think that a lot of the strategies now is like cold call lists and email lists and LinkedIn outreach. You're doing, you know, it's like, You'd send out a thousand, you get one conversion. It's so important to go. And, and during COVID, we've been we've been focusing on this. I've been using digital to to get initial conversations, but then I've been going really deep on trying to build relationships, whether it's digitally mm -hmm. or with a note or with conversations or you know social right. distancing. But I think you have to go deeper to build relationships, and it's not like one 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 to one meeting is not going to do it. Two one-to-one -one meetings is not going to do it. You need to really be invested in this person's right. life to, to well, build the right network. And, and we and you we've got more information, so we don't have to guess anymore. Yeah. But also, too, when someone doesn't have a lot of information online, you can sit back and think, all right, what does this tell me about that person? Mm -hmm. But we've get, we can get so much more information. I mean, one of the case studies in my book, a woman by the name of Jessica Peltzatulov, who is a venture capitalist. I mean, she, it's her story of, of how she did cold outreach, moving to New York and not knowing anyone and looking for a job in, you know, sort of the two year or two after, you know, kind of the aftermath of 9-11. And so as you'll recall, job market 
kind of sucked back then <laughs> if you didn't have a if you didn't have a warm lead and she was looking for one of those madman you know madison avenue jobs so what she did was she got the industry rags and she read them and she understood when opportunities arose for people needing to hire. So she would look for those signals. Mm -hmm. And when she saw a client account moving agencies, she like looked up who, who won it. She found as much information she could on that person. And okay, this is 2003, 2004, you know, the internet LinkedIn wasn't as robust as it yeah. is now. So she was really, I mean, she had this all like in a duo tang binder and writing notes. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen the binder. Um, uh, but, you, but you think about now, there's no excuse for people not doing that. So when she reached out and did customized, personalized, you know, pitches, like no different than a business pitch to someone at an agency to say, congratulations on winning the client account. You know, here's what I know about that client. Here's what I know, you know, about you and you're needing to hire up. Here's where my skill set aligns with what you need to get done. At a time when no one was hire, no one was hiring, she got three or four job offers. Great. So spend that. I mean, that's the thing people need to do. And I think it same applies for um, you know, sales. You know, why send out a thousand when if you could do the research and send out, you know, ten or twenty yeah. really good ones. Uh, that are actually going to have a higher conversion. Um, but I think we see it a lot where people are still, they're still so wedded to that vanity metric. Oh, we sent out a thousand outreach. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you see it particularly in the, like the PR field, you know, Carrie will be like, mm -hmm. you know, you get that it's sort of like the same, Hey, do you want to talk to? And then yeah. that, that PR firm can look at their clients and send out 1500 outreach today. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, I think one of the challenges today, as opposed to, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago is that it's noisier. Now the argument is your, your, your point is still correct in that people are not personal enough in their outreach, but I'm um, hammering your roof. Oh, <laughs> just what's happening right, right, right on cue. It's noisier. Bang, it's bang, noisier. Bang. <laughs> I did that on purpose. That's part of the sound effects people on the editing side. But it's, it's, and I'm like, I'm like three stories. Anyway, um, it's noisier. And so it is, while I still think it to be personal, I, I would argue that it is a little bit harder today to get someone's attention than it was yeah. 10 or 15 years ago. You may have to, I think you may have to get a little bit more in their shoes and understand mm -hmm. that. Um, I think this is also where, you know, it sort of hits on one of what I think is one of the biggest networking mistakes. But I think this is where the personalization is mm -hmm. absolutely intentional, like making it and then also understanding someone's day. You know, when are they likely to check their email? Mm -hmm. When are they likely to see things? What's going on with their company or business? Because you could be sending it and you're like, oh, right, they're just going through a mega merger. They're not checking their email for this yeah. you know, crap that I've sent. Or, oh, gosh, look, it's the middle of, you know, school holidays. Uh, you know, it's the spring break or it's, you know, like you need to think like the you whole pit, the whole picture mm -hmm. of the person. But I mean, one of the things people don't do is they don't follow up. Mm -hmm. And, yes. you know, some people think, oh my God, this can be really, you know, you can be a bit of a stalker this way. Well, you can be a jerk about it, or you can be, you know, know you have something of value mm -hmm. for someone. So you keep following up. I mean, I did this once with um, 
because you know you write a book on networking and you do have to eat your own dog food uh and um i eat my own dog food on a daily basis um but there was a woman i had a complete like handshake deal on to support a venture i was doing at the time and then she went radio silent mm. And it wasn't until I think it was like somewhere between four and a half and six months later, she finally reared her head. But in that time, I kind of had moved from, hey, I'm glad to work with you to want to make sure you got my email to, right, just popping this to the top of your inbox again to hope you're okay. Um, you know, things may have gone sideways with you at work. Here's what I'm doing. And, you know, just kept her informed after that. And she finally reared her head. The company had gone through a restructuring and it had affected her both sort of mentally, mentally and her position. And she just wasn't in a capacity to deal with this. And her, her stress response was, I'm going to hide under my desk and pretend yeah. these emails aren't mm -hmm. in my inbox. Yeah. So it, it's funny to, I, I, I still think of this this day. I, I had somebody send me a puzzle box and there was a $50 bill in it. And it was a, a written note about my business and, you know, how we work and, you know, our culture, which they can get online, you know, most of it and how, and then they said something, you know, punny about how getting money out of your business is like a puzzle box. And if I call them for a consult, they'll tell me how to open it. I thought that was a very, I'm sure they weren't sending a thousand of those out because 50 bucks times a thousand is a lot. <laughs> but I thought that was a very clever way to grab someone's attention and then, and be very personal. And then they kept the follow-up strategy. So I was impressed with the, well, you, the you outreach. To, but you also have to know that, 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 you know, like, but of, of the number that they sent out, how many hit you and like someone like you, and you were like, this is really smart. And mm -hmm. other people are like, oh, for the love of, <laughs> like, you know. Like, I mean, a free 50 bucks, I'll go get a hammer and get that box out. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I was cool. impressed. <laughs> yeah, so, but it's also knowing your target audience and knowing like, you know, I, I bet this person, you know, they, I looked at their website, I've looked at their work, I look at the kind of thing, I bet they'll appreciate this. Whereas I still think to this day, a friend who used to be um, the head of special offense for the Canadian Football League. And she still would tell the story of, as she would say, the idiot who sent her a resume written on a football. She's like, no. <laughs> Don't think, yeah, no, this got my attention in the wrong way. Like you are not getting an interview. Like someone sent one once in a shoe. It was a used shoe. She's like, I didn't even look at the resume. I was in the trash. So oh sometimes you're like, I'm gonna get their attention. It's like. No, 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 no. What do they the really, yeah, like, but, but where do you need to be imaginative? Uh, and I think right now, you know, get back to your point of like things being so cluttered and noisy, the more you are really like, if I was the other person, what would I want to receive? Yeah. What would, what would be helpful and meaningful to me? What would make my life better? Um, is this, and I always say to people, like send the communication you would want to receive. Mm -hmm. And if you wouldn't want to receive that, don't send it. Yeah, you make a really good point. So with that said, we're coming up on time and I want to ask you the question we always ask our guests. It's been amazing talking to you. I'd love to have you back. I feel like there's a lot more that we could dive into. Anytime with you two, hammers and, and husband's <laughs> offices and you name it, I'm there. You play a game of like, what can Rachel find in here? That oh like, yeah, there we go. You're, you're just lucky that this has only coffee in it and not <laughs> coffee in Kahlua, which could be on any given day that that would be Perfect. how I needed to start my day. Yeah. Um, 
What's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you, Kelly? <laughs> that's our final question we ask all of our guests. Craziest thing that is has ever happened in your life? Um, you know what? The one that, that comes to mind is um, being invited to a reception, and I, you know, I still, you know, my ripe old age and all the rest of it, I still. You know, I guess I'm slightly clueless at times. Uh, and someone invited me to a reception. It wasn't until I got there that I realized, A, how exclusive it was, um, how small the event was. And then this person gave up their seat for an even smaller dinner. And I found myself sitting across the table from Malala's parents and met Malala. And But I just remember going, exactly, Carrie. I was like, oh, like shit, this is like not what I expected. And I still this moment of like, how did I end up in this room? <laughs> exactly, like I was still like, why did someone, it was like, it was totally crazy. It was totally crazy. You knew the person that invited you though. Yes. And, it, and, what, what I'm asking is, wasn't it wasn't a mistake? <laughs> No, no, what it was a mistake, That's but not no, very no, nice. No, no, but it was, okay, so I was okay. still kind of like, whoa like what happened right and and it's it's one of many kind of like crazy things that have happened to me but that one truly was the craziest that i sort of walked out of that event and was like what just happened but it sounds amazing oh what is it i mean you walked into a like one of one of those apartments where you had to keep the straight face where you know the doorman direct you to a floor and you're thinking to yourself but what apartment number and then you realize it's yeah. the entire floor <laughs> And the floor and above, <laughs> yeah, and the and the floor above, and then you stand there and you're looking at a piece of art and you're like, I've seen that before, and you're like, Oh right, it was probably on loan to the Met. Oh yeah. right. <laughs> and all the while you're just trying to keep a straight face, like yeah. you always belong in these places. Yeah, yeah, like I've seen, I've been in here before. What do you mean? Yeah. yeah, I know exactly where this. That sure. Let me let me get that for you. I know yeah, where and, that is. Don't, and, uh, in the meantime, don't touch anything. Don't even like, don't and, 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 on anything. Just <laughs> everything about it was great. And I thought for the dinner when I sat down because there was some students there because a number of students had been invited to meet Malala. So there was, you know, these 14, 15, 16 year old girls. And I sat down and several of them were at the table I was at. So I was thinking, amen, a reprieve. I'm at the kids table. <laughs> And then this woman sat next to me and she put her hand out and she said, hi, I'm Carrie Kennedy. And I'm like, oh, for the love of God, now I have to watch my manners. I have to watch, be careful how I cut <laughs> my fork food. Which fork do I use? <laughs> but thankfully my mother had been through a horrible situation in her teenage years. So she made sure we knew how to use all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then Malala's parents sat down across from me and I'm like, I am, it's going on here. I have to ask you, what was Malala like? My daughter just finished reading her book for her reading challenge in fourth grade. And she, her, I mean, I am familiar with her story from news, but I can't imagine meeting her. Oh, she's an absolutely, like just, uh, she's so lovely. And you sort of meet her and there's not, she's not overpowering, but yeah. there is this strength. Yeah. Um, I actually spent a lot of time talking to her father. It was like very funny because of course Malala was the star. So everyone was talking to Malala and I'm like, well, there's mom and dad standing by themselves. Yeah. I'm gonna go talk to them. Uh, so I've spent, and, and hearing 
the family story. You know, this is not in any way to take away from Malala's strength and determination, but when you meet her parents and in particularly her father, if I can just tell the story for a second. Yeah. Um, he, um, their first child was stillborn and was a girl and the families, like the extended family celebrated because good, who wants a girl, right? Second pregnancy, this is with Malala. Malala's born, the family has all gathered. They have a family tree. This document is like 400 years of the family and then you bring it to the births and you roll it out, right? And they're ready to write in because they were sure that this was gonna be a boy. They're ready to write in the name. And they come out and announce it's a girl and it's Malala. And um, whoever's in charge of the family tree starts to roll it up because we only write the boys' names down. And Malala's father went over and put his hand down, rolled this out again and wrote in her name. Wow. It gave me the yeah. chill. Mm -hmm. I know. So she is, you know, I want to say, what, what even words can you use to describe her? but the quiet strength and support and vision of her parents and particularly her father. And in, you know, you think about why people succeed in what they do um, and who, what's your support network? And, and having that, um, I wanna say that cultural kind of uh, redefining at home, I think makes a difference in terms of how far you can succeed and fly. Yeah. I am so glad that you shared that with us. Yeah, she's got this quiet, like grace, strength, presence. I, I don't, none of those words seem adequate, <clears throat> but you know, yeah. aside from being internal, it was, she, she, she was taught as well, you know, and, and I'm glad you shared that because it's clear, although her father went against what the cultural norms were, that was not how he was going to live his life. And that's not what he was going to teach his daughter nor his family. It's just, right. yeah, she's, she's a, yeah. Remarkable, a remarkable person. And I'm so glad that you got the chance to sit across from her parents and chat with them and share with us. Thank you. <laughs> There's a few other stories I can think of, but we'll save that for a future interview. You can ask me the same question again. Save it. I, and we will. And, and I want to hear your next story. All right, done. <laughs> done. Kelly, thank you so much. It was wonderful to talk with you. And thank you to our audience as well for joining us for this episode of the Mavens of Marketing. We'll see you back here next week. Same time, same place. Bye. It's a teaser. As a video marketer, I always say to my clients, there's no such thing as bad video. It's off video. It's either good or it's off. And one of the reasons video gets turned off is because it's boring. There's too much good content out there. There's too much personality driven content out there that people aren't going to stick around for boring. But how do you use personality marketing. What does it encompass? How do you make sure the words and the visuals and the videos and the planning and the messaging is not only appropriate for your business, but also ties 
your personality into it. Coming up on the next episode of the Mavens of Marketing, we are talking to Danielle Hughes, and she is the chief personality officer of More Than Words Coffee, and she has a whole slew of gems that she's going to be dropping on you. That's coming up on the next episode of the Mavens of Marketing.